Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and Mr. Dicey Semantics, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert and over-the-hill shopkeeper who just needs to die for a minute, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we're here today to talk about Bargaining Parts 1 and 2, the first and second episodes of Season 6. Bargaining Parts 1 and 2 aired on October 2nd, 2001, and thank goodness, really, because cliffhangers are the worst. The worst. Part 1 was written by Marty Noxon, Part 2 was written by David Fury, and both were directed by David Grossman. All right, so those of you who have been with us for a while know that we are a fully spoiled Buffy podcast, but if for some reason you happened upon us in the middle of season six and thought, hey, let me just jump right in, uh, then you should know that we are fully spoiled and we will talk about anything and everything that has happened in the run of Buffy. So be sure that you have either watched it all or that you don't care before you continue to listen. Oh, poor watcher. Did your life pass before your eyes? Cup of tea, cup of tea, almost got shagged, cup of tea. Well then, let's go on patrol. In Bargaining Part 1, the whole Scooby gang, including Buffy Bot, are at the graveyard fighting a vampire. Willow is running the show via telepathy as she watches from atop a crypt. Between the seven of them, they take out the vamps, but it's a rough fight. And the Buffybot is off her quipping game. That'll put marzipan in your pie plate, bingo. Buffybot has a bigger challenge ahead, though, the first day of school when parents are supposed to bring their child in and meet the teachers. While Tara and Willow are now living in the summer's home and raising Dawn, everyone needs to think Buffy's also living there, or they might take Dawn away. Buffybot goes to school and does just fine, though. I helped make lunch today. At the Magic Box, Giles is preparing to move back to London, leaving Anya in charge of the store. Anya's on edge, though, because they can't tell Giles the reason why he maybe shouldn't go back to England, and they aren't telling anyone about their engagement. Xander says they should wait until they talk to Willow that night. At the house, Dawn tries to tell Spike that she doesn't need a babysitter, but Spike will not have it not leaving you to get hurt. Out on patrol, Buffybot saves a girl from vampire, but gets hurt in the process with a sparking head injury. The vampire realizes the Slayer is a robot and runs off to tell his friends. Meanwhile, at Xander's, there's a plan underway to bring the real Buffy back with the ordinary questions that surround that kind of thing. Is this the right thing to do? Will she come back as a zombie and eat our brains? That kind of thing. But Willow says it wasn't a mundane death. The Buffy was killed by mystical energy, and that means they might be able to bring her back. But Willow is determined to bring Buffy back for other reasons. Her essence. I mean, that could be somewhere else. She could be trapped in, in some sort of hell dimension like Angel was. Suffering eternal torment just because she saved us, and I'm not going to let her... I'm not going to leave her there. Buffybot returns home and Willow patches her up. At a demon bar, the vamp tells a bunch of biker gang demons that the Slayer is a robot and they ride off to Sunnydale to take over. Willow gets the last of the ingredients they need for the ritual to bring Buffy back. Everyone gathers at the magic box to prep for the big night when they find a note from Giles saying he's gone off to London and didn't want a big goodbye. So they, of course, run off to the airport and make a big to-do about it. Giles gets on the plane. That night, the Scoobies gather at Buffy's gravesite and ask Osiris to let Buffy come back. But Osiris is in no mood for this bullshit, and he slices Willow's arms and sends bugs crawling under her skin. Xander takes this opportunity to once again question what they're doing, but Tara says no. Willow said this would happen, and they have to keep going no matter what, 
or they'll lose their chance to bring Buffy back. But then... Oh God, what is that noise? Yep, it's the biker demon gang who are in town to take it over and turn it into a post-apocalyptic hellscape slash demony wonderland as they throw Molotov cocktails through windows because you don't join a demon biker gang to be all low profile about things. Willow vomits up a snake. That's it. That's the tweet. Spike looks out the window and sees demon bikers and decides to hit the streets with Dawn because they'll surely be safer on the run. At Buffy's gravesite, Osiris continues to give Willow the mystical beatdown when the biker demons come racing through their sacred circle, making a mess of things and busting up the last known urn of Osiris. And this is why we can't have nice things, people. Tara and Anya run one way, and Xander picks up Willow and carries her off in another direction, setting her down once they're out of immediate danger. Did it work? I'm sorry. Yeah, except it did work. In a Buffy's grave, she comes back to life, and there's everyone's worst nightmare, so welcome back, Buffy. Tara and Anya run to the magic box. Xander and Willow wander around the woods in circles until Tara sends a light to lead them home. And Buffy claws her way out of her grave and into a world that she died to save and is now being overrun by demon biker gangs setting everything on fire. And what the actual fuck, people? Meanwhile, at the magic box, everyone assembles, but there's no Giles and no Buffy bot, and they need, well... Buffy. He's not coming back. We failed. So, we're it, gang. Meanwhile, Buffybot is out on the job, fighting the biker demons, except they know she's a robot. The real Buffy wanders up to warm up by the garbage can fire as they tie Buffybot's arms and legs to four bikes and ride off, ripping her to pieces while actual Buffy watches. Because, you know, she wasn't traumatized enough having to claw her way out of her own grave. But wait, there's more. (laughs) The demons see the real Buffy standing there in shock and horror and decide there's more fun to be had. Buffy runs and drops down into an alley where the Scooby gang are walking with their weapons. At first, they think it's the Buffy bot. Then they realize it's actually Buffy. And then they see her terrified expression and bloody hands and Xander realizes what happened. A resurrection spell worked like a magic charm. We brought you back to life, Buffy. Right where we left her. But of course, it gets worse. The biker demons attack and threaten them with rape and death. So I guess they're a demon biker gang slash alt-right incel troll group that just came upon a woman with an opinion on the internet. Buffy smacks a few of them down and the Scoobies join the fight. But in the middle of the melee, Buffy sees the rickety tower that Glory built and runs off, leaving the rest of the Scoobs to finish off the demons. While out on the town, Spike and Dawn find the remains of the Buffybot, who tells Dawn about the other Buffy before powering down for good. While Spike is distracted collecting pieces of Buffybot, Dawn realizes that her sister has returned and runs off to find her. Hey. Little bit. Dawn! Buffy climbs the tower, remembering her own death there months earlier. Dawn climbs up after her and tries to talk to her. The tower wobbles under their weight and Buffy looks over the edge. Dawn shouts to her to not move and explains what happened and asks Buffy to talk to her. Is this hell? Dawn says no and tells Buffy that she tried to be strong without Buffy, but she needs Buffy to be brave and stay with her. 
Just then the tower starts to collapse and Buffy grabs Dawn and jumps off the side of the tower grabbing a pulley to soften their landing. They run away from the collapsing tower and Dawn cries and hugs Buffy, saying she's home, while Buffy stares over her shoulder, her expression shocked and blank. All right, Noelle, so here we are in the beginning of season six, and I have to say, it's kind of a transition. Buffy, of course, has been through some big transitions, going from alive to dead to back to alive again, which is a big thing. Um, But also the show itself is kind of going through some transitions. There is a marked difference between season five and season six. And a lot of it happens because this is when we have the transition from moving Buffy away off of the WB and on to UPN, um, where it aired for its final two seasons. So there is that. I mean, and, and with some different people running the studio and all that, I'm sure that had some influence on it but also it just seems like Buffy's kind of a different show that if if the seasons one through five were about growing up you know Mm -hmm. um that season six and seven are about you know being grown and how difficult that is um so I'm curious like um you know we we talked about season five you know of course last week when we uh when we talked about the gift um but how do you feel about this transition into season six and overall like what do you think about season six we are fully spoiled so it is okay for us to share those opinions how we felt about season six in the past when we've watched it so I love the way this opens season six as kind of, it, we're sort of back to normal mm-hmm. and sort of not yeah. um which feel like i don't know i love i love that it opens just running through the graveyard but mm-hmm. of course it's not buffy running through the graveyard it's everyone yeah doing buffy's job and kind of you know finding their own way as this mm-hmm. team this like grief-stricken team but season six, I don't know. I'm really excited for season six yep. this time through. We've been talking all along about each season kind of having a theme mm-hmm. um, in a way that season five was very much about Buffy's identity and her, I mean, her gift, really, like mm-hmm. her, the sort of spiritual calling aspect of being the slayer right that Mm -hmm. she's she's got to grapple with so many life and death situations in her own life Mm -hmm. in this really really um you know in a in a way that i think is deeper than any season prior Mm -hmm. and now in season six i feel like we're talking a lot about relationships and not obviously not romantic relationships exclusively mm-hmm. but being being grown <laughs> is a lot about relationships and how we relate to other people mm-hmm. and the choices we make because of those relationships mm-hmm. i don't know maybe it's a little bit of a stretch to say that's what we're doing in season 6 but it it feels that way to me right out of the gate mm-hmm. and knowing where a lot of this is going I'm excited I I don't know I'm just excited to talk about season six I I think it's gonna be a lot of fun I mean I've already run through season six critically once and I think going through things critically always kind of changes my perspective on things um prior to reading Buffy critically just enjoying it as a fan um season six was always kind of a mixed bag for me um there were a lot of things that I liked about it there were a lot of things that I didn't particularly care for um but basically it would go from episode to episode like I like this particular episode I didn't 
didn't care for this particular episode, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But season six overall, when you think about it in terms of being kind of a different show uh, from the original Buffy, that like it's it's kind of a, a next, um, almost like a reboot, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Where we're taking the same setting and the same characters but we're seeing them in a completely different context and i think that that may be part of the reason why there are a lot of reasons why i think people didn't like season six and i'm definitely not going to tell anybody that they're wrong for not liking it um i didn't care for it much the first couple of times you know i watched the whole uh the whole thing through but when i started looking at it critically when i started thinking about it and thinking about the things that they're doing in season six um I found I find it really super interesting. Like, you know, the first five seasons of Buffy, like we talked about, about growing up, about becoming right, you know, and season six and seven, I think, are about being, which is a lot harder. Right. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. Right. That realization Mm -hmm. for Buffy is a turning point and she chooses to check out. Right. And then she is dragged back, you know, Um, and I find that a really interesting kind of thing, you know, um, coming of age tales, we tend to think about at, in terms of um, like a young person has sex for the first time or falls in love for the first time, right? And then that is suddenly the coming of age. But real coming of age is about that loss of innocence where, you know, you don't have to think about all of the consequences of everything that you do. You don't have to feel so responsible for everything that you do, um, that you don't have to engage in the world in a way where where the things that you do have these deep impacts on other people and in those relationships like what you were talking about. So I think that Buffy's Buffy's choice at the end of season five to die you know, to save everybody else and to end that fight that she was in because she was constantly in this state of becoming, right? You know, throughout the first part of the series. And then she finally becomes and then she jumps into this big mystical hole, right? You know, and that is a coming of age thing. And then here she is back, you know, from that experience and everything is different. And she is fundamentally Different, And we're going to see a lot of those differences coming out during this season. Um, but I think that that's kind of the the fun part of watching season six is um, is that that transition that that different lens through which we are looking at Buffy and through which we're looking at Sunnydale, like everything is different now. You know, um, but before we get into that, overall, you enjoyed uh, the the opening for season six. You like the episodes, uh, bargaining parts one and two. I do. There are there are some pacing issues for me, um, mm-hmm. but other than that, I think it's a really. I mean, it's such an interesting way to open the season because, of course, we know that. We know that Buffy is not going to stay gone, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar is still here. And as much as I love her as the Buffy bot. Yes, that is a temporary um, situation. We can't we tell a whole that, story like, about the bot, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. this is not this is not going to become a story about, mm-hmm. you know, Buffy bot. And right, about a robot group of human friends. Soul. Right, exactly. You know, <laughs> like we know that Buffy mm-hmm. is coming back somehow. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but I just, I really, I really dig this season opener. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that we're talking about the episodes together. Yeah. Because 
oh boy, like we really go, we really go on a journey here. Yeah. Yeah, we really, really do. We and really it is go on a one journey. Story. It is one story. I mean, between them, they have that cliffhanger bullshit in the middle, you know, um, when when suddenly we see Buffy brought back to life in her coffin, you know, um, and that's the kind of thing that you could not like that. That would have been terrible to spread that over two weeks. So it was good that they showed it all together. I think that it is one story. Um, one of the things that I find, I think the the thing, the difference that I found most kind of glaring in this episode is how freaking dark it is. Like the nature of the demons is just different. Now we go from a goofy vampire conflict, right? Where the Buffy bot gets damaged and starts walking into the wall, you know, um, to these like leather faced biker demons who threaten to rape the Scoobies with anatomies that tend to tear up little girls. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, this, yeah. 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 This biker gang of demons is fantastic character design. Yeah. And a fantastic entry into the new, like, what the new Hellmouth is going to be. Yeah. The things that we see now in these demons. Like, if you're thinking about this from the perspective of Buffy and her friends, right? Um, That previously, when we saw demons, they were alien they were they had weird like we didn't understand them you know they were just weird they were giant snakes they were reptile boy right um and they were funny and and made of some kind of weird rubber and they always looked like you know super not human um except for vampires right vampires were always like had that human element to them but that darkness underneath you know Mm -hmm. um but the rest of the demons were always kind of like you know just weird looking or whatever right um so now we have these demons that have this this human element to them but they are markedly inhuman not animalistic the way that our snake demons and that kind of thing are but like really human but not human really human but super dark sharp teeth right a discussion of their anatomy which is terrifying you know yeah um and and i mean threatening to rape like i don't think we have had a textual rape threat like that you know not like that not like that um you know uh we've had assault in a couple of different circumstances but nothing like that like that was super super dark you know um and the thing that i find interesting is that we open with this goofy nerdy vampire wearing a hansen t-shirt right you know Um, who like oh the the slayer's a robot right that nerdy vampire goes into a demon bar, tells the other demons that the Slayer is a robot, and then for his trouble gets beheaded by yes. this guy, which I think is is like very clearly and textually telling us that we're not in Kansas anymore. Like this is yep. a different world and the demons and the dangers that we face are different, you know, and that and that Buffy and Willow and everybody can see the demons for what they are as opposed to just these scary nightmare you know things these nightmare monsters you know um they are very very dark but human coded like they are within human you know um yeah so i find that 
Really, really interesting. And, you know, I've talked a lot throughout, you know, Still Pretty about the trauma erasure that we see with Buffy. Um, But season six is really all about Buffy's trauma. We see season six through the lens of Buffy's trauma, with the exception of maybe some things that happen toward the end. We'll talk about that when we get there. When it's Spike inflicting the trauma, we let it go a little bit too easy. But anyway, we'll get there later. Um, But I think that for me... We have these like really horrible dark demons, but the big bad for season six, we haven't seen them in this episode. We won't see them, uh, you know, until I think the next episode or the episode after that um, are, is the trio. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, these these bad, stupid men. Right. You know, mm-hmm. misogyny, which is Warren, internalized homophobia, which is Andrew and empowered weakness, which is Jonathan, who do so much damage just through pure ignorance and entitlement. Um, and I find that so interesting. Of course, we're going to talk about that, you know, at length throughout this season. Um, but I think season six is doing a thing and I find it really interesting. I get why some people don't like it. Um, and there are parts of it that I don't particularly care for, but I respect the hell out of it. And I love Marty Noxon and I love talking about this season. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting too, that we get this very, scary male biker gang Mm -hmm. showing up in an episode where Giles is leaving. Mm -hmm. Like there's something that we're doing something about masculinity in this season for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, In, you know, some big ways and in some little ways, but I think it's, I mean, this is the first time that Anthony Stewart head is no longer in the opening credits. He's now a guest star. Yeah. Which is another big, mm-hmm. like, almost metatextual shift yeah. in the feel of the show. Mm-hmm. Like, the adults are gone. Yep. And now the core cast they are, are the, adults. the adults. Yeah. Which and is we're freaky. in a different, mm-hmm. like, we're in a different world in that the cast is configured differently. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, like, yeah. Who is positioned as, you know, the the authority mm-hmm. is different. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely a lot mm-hmm. in season six about scary men, like yeah. like in in a way that we've both done before on the show. And I think not fully explored. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is definitely something that I'm going to watch for yeah. on this run through because it's not yeah yeah Mm -hmm. season six is doing a thing season six is doing a thing and the scary big bad is not you know the um it's it's not some demon it's not some god it's not something that is other it is it's humans you know humans with souls um and i love that we're doing that i love that we're looking at this you know, from that perspective and seeing the damage that that can be done, um, you know, sometimes through just ignorance, sometimes through, um, you know, like that ignorance, that entitlement, you know, that that Andrew and Jonathan, I, I don't see as necessarily evil at their core. They're just not good enough, you know, to like stop yeah. the evil. Um, and Warren is absolute, you know, personified misogyny. But um, those are going to be really, really fun discussions to have when we get there. Right now, working through bargaining, right? Um, bargaining actually, you know, as everybody 
has has picked up, I'm sure, um, is named for the third, you know, stage, although, of course, these stages are not necessarily linear, you pop back and forth between them throughout the process of grief, but the third stage of grief as laid out by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Um, the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, right? Um, so bargaining is the stage where we think about what we might have done to prevent the terrible thing from happening. You know, what if I'd done yeah. this differently? Would it have changed things? We're going to see Spike next week uh, firmly um, in in Afterlife uh, when he tells Buffy that every night he saves her, he does something different, faster, better. Every night he saves her. That is a typical kind of expression of bargaining in the grief process. Um, and Dawn was bargaining in Forever when she tried to bring Joyce back, right? You're trying to undo it, you know? Um, so in bargaining we get to this what if stage of grief you know with a character there who actually has the power to change it right yeah the thing about what if in the grief process is if i had done this differently if this had been different if i you know all of these things like what if what if what if um is that you can't go back and change it those are questions that you ask before you move into your, you know, your real sadness and your depression about it, you know, according to Kubler-Ross, of course, these are, you know, stages that you bounce back and forth. Um, but it's, it's, it's where you go during that particular part of that process. Um, but we all go there without having the ability to change it without having the ability to undo it for the most part, usually without having the ability to undo it. Um, but Willow does have that power. And if you think about it, like imagine, all the things that you would undo if you could, you know, um, the things that happened, like what if you'd had the power to reverse like terrible things that had happened, you know, and in the throes of grief, I think that we would all do that. But as our very powerlessness to change these things, the finality of our lives and our existences that give our life meaning, you know, um, but Willow can just undo it. I mean, yeah, they got to go get an urn of Osiris and she's got to kill a deer and there's all that kind of stuff, you know, and have right. bugs crawling under her skin and Osiris beating the hell out of her. But I mean, the thing is, she has the power to do it. And her arc this season is about what that kind of power will do to you if you let it run unchecked. Um, yeah. So I find yeah. that really interesting. I mean, it's not really a secret at this mm -hmm. point that Willow is my favorite character on the show mm -hmm. and her all of her arcs are so so fascinating mm -hmm. to me yeah and season six i mean we really like jump right into it mm -hmm. with willow and kind of you know where where she is now in bargaining parts one and two is so I don't know, just like emblematic of like what is going to happen to her mm -hmm. as we move forward. Yeah. Um, and I just I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. I love the way we just jump right into exploring Willow's power and kind of all of the nuance of mm -hmm. that. I mean, opening the season with Willow communicating with everyone telepathically yeah. simultaneously is pretty um it's 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 pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It's shot in this way though that is a little bit unnerving. Yeah, like her her facial expression and her body language as she's like perched up on top of the mm -hmm. what is it the mausoleum? Yeah, mm -hmm. is like she's really she's stiff and stern, which is I think partly 
seriousness, but there's mm-hmm. something not, you know, this is not like our our bright, shiny, brightly colored willow yeah. anymore. Yeah. It's a little bit creepy. And even Anya says, you know, she's uh, Willow's communicating with everyone telepathically. And Anya says, it's kind of intrusive. Could yeah. you knock first? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the implication of being able to communicate mm-hmm. telepathically with all of your friends. Yeah. Uh, what? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, there's what, you know, we know that Willow, we know that Willow can go into people's minds. Mm-hmm. We know that Willow has all of this magical ability just kind of kicking around. Yeah. And we're so, we're starting to, to inch into what happens when you have that much power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's Willow. It really is Willow who's yeah. spearheading the Buffy Resurrection Project, right? Oh yeah. Well, you like, who made you the boss? Well, you did, and you made you a plaque, did. And, like all of that. Yeah, like Willow is Which the boss I love. of us. Yes, I love that whole right. little run, mm-hmm. that little Noxonian, you know, yes. nugget yeah. of mm-hmm. delight that is, <laughs> you know, Noxonian nugget of delight. It really, it's great. You made a little sign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but. You know, it's it's Willow who's mm-hmm. in charge of this whole project, yeah. and it's based on based on the assumption that Buffy's soul is somewhere terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Buffy's been dead for five months, mm-hmm. and I wonder if Willow just skipped the research step of trying to figure out where Buffy's soul might have gone to. Oh, she doesn't want to know. Like, it's presented as this yeah. big, like, mystery, you know, mm-hmm. like, it's not a natural death. She could be anywhere. She could be in torment. And I don't know, just tiny little red flag goes up for yeah. me of, like, couldn't we figure that out? Like, if somebody, yeah. or, I mean, couldn't Giles or someone maybe, is there a book that would point us in the vague direction of where <laughs> where the Slayer's essence might have gone after yeah. leaping into a magical portal. I don't know. Right. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but there's definitely, there's definitely some missing research here. Mm-hmm. And at Xander's apartment, Willow and Tara treat this like bringing Buffy back is an obvious solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. And it's Xander who puts on the brakes yeah. And he says that it's deep stuff, Willow. Mm-hmm. And there have been several conversations, both in world and on podcast, about right. raising the dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the desire to try that is always framed as both a natural response to grief and also a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad idea. Yeah. But this time, it seems like a done deal. I mean, Tara says it's against the laws of nature and practically impossible to do, but it's what we all agreed to. And that's the record scratch moment for me. Yeah. Like, for real? Mm -hmm. Tara agreed to this? Oh, yeah. Tara, who a few episodes ago was trying to help Dawn over the gaping chasm of the loss of her mother by discouraging even looking into the history of resurrection spells. I mean, yeah, but Tara's also sleeping with Willow. Like they are intimately and I mean, I'm not like saying like, you know, like this, but I'm saying that like when you are with someone, you're partnered with someone. Right. Mm -hmm. And that person is there telling you every day, 
Buffy could be. We can do this. Buffy's in a torment, you know, in a dimension, in a hell dimension. Like, Mm -hmm. you can get convinced of things. I can completely see Willow convincing Tara that this is the thing to do. And Tara saying, okay, these are the considerations. It's super dangerous and against the laws, you know, of nature, which is kind of a big deal, right? You know, Um, but it's what we all agreed to. Right. So Tara signed on knowing that, you know, it's wrong and that it's it's you know, it's going to be difficult. But also that, you know, Tara, as as someone who studies magic, I imagine that there's a reason why these spells exist. I mean, basically, they exist because people with power had to deal with grief and didn't want to you know um but also that maybe there is the exception that proves the rule maybe there is when you know when buffy was killed by mystical energy not by a mundane force that that changes things and maybe if she was killed maybe she dove into you know this this interdimensional space that was connected with hell with a hellscape Maybe that's where she is. I mean, it's not unreasonable that this would occur to Willow that maybe that's where Buffy is. Now, is there a spell that can kind of GPS that shit and figure out where Buffy is? You know, maybe. Did Willow want that spell? No. She wants Probably the excuse. Probably not. You know, she's yeah. looking for the excuse to bring Buffy back because she does not want to process her grief. Which, by the way, yeah. I understand Grief sucks. In the middle oh, of grief, totally. any of us with the power to change it would probably choose to do so, but that doesn't make it the right choice, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that for Willow, um, she is so convinced, you know, and is so like, you know, like drinking her own Kool-Aid at this point that I think she is completely convinced and I think that she has convinced Tara and I can definitely understand that you know when you're intimately partnered with someone it's kind of a ride or die thing right Willow is going to do this with or without Tara Tara probably knows that so Tara's going to be there to protect Willow and do what she can to make sure that it's not it doesn't go bad you know yeah and I feel like Tara's pivot on this is like little bit of a character break for mm-hmm. Tara yeah. is really also about the growing imbalance of power in the Willow Tara relationship. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, we've heard lots of times from Tara about how powerful Willow is yeah. um, and how much more powerful than Tara Willow yeah. is. And how sometimes it frightens her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And we also know that Willow has lied to Tara before in a resurrecting the dead situation. Yep. You know, the lie of omission Mm -hmm. when Dawn takes the History of Witchcraft book that Willow magically tipped her off to and (laughs) Tara asked what happened to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And we get another more interesting, to me anyway, lie here Mm -hmm. about the vino de madre. Yeah. You know, Willow alone by the river, all in white, is one of my favorite yeah. aesthetic moments mm-hmm. of this great. pair of episodes. And I just want to give it up again for Allison Hannigan. The subtlety of this moment is incredible. Yeah, she's real good. After Willow stabs the fawn, she continues the ritual without missing a word, but you can see her fighting down the horror, disgust, and maybe some shame. Yeah. 
She's in. T- they've got her in tight close up, and her mm-hmm. eyes just dart left and right, like she's looking around for someone to catch her, mm-hmm. even as she's continuing to do this thing. Yeah. And then she returns to the magic box. In a new blood-free but still red outfit, interestingly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she says she got the ingredient on the black market. Mm -hmm. When Tara expresses concern over her going somewhere dangerous by herself, she shrugs it off. Right. And she also just gives a literal translation of the ingredient. Yeah. Wine of the mother, which feels a little half truthful, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't say what it is, you know? And she doesn't say what she had to do. So we've heard, well, we've heard Tara telling Xander and Anya, like, mm-hmm. look, this is what we all agreed to do. This moment really raises the question for me as to whether Tara would have supported this ritual if she'd known the details. Well, and the fact that like Willow is, you know, downplaying what she has to do to make this ritual happen would indicate to me that that's probably not the only details she has downplayed to try to get Tara on board. So a lot of this is, you know, manipulation from Willow, not being entirely honest with Tara. And that is not a good sign for that relationship. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's not good. It's not good. (laughs) And then we get to the ritual itself, Mm -hmm. which is brutal. Yeah, I mean... As well it should be. It needs to be. This can't be a ride at Disneyland. This is serious business. Yeah. No. I mean, Osiris is a god with a lot of powerful mythology associated with him. And this is neither a mythology podcast nor my area of expertise. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not going to dive super deep into the specific invocation of this god. But the death and rebirth themes are real strong. Mm -hmm. Willow purging the snake (laughs) is another one of my favorite aesthetic moments. I mean, you all know how I feel about body horror at this point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But I also love it as emblematic of just how powerful a witch Willow has become. Mm -hmm. A symbol of birth and regeneration literally comes from within her, Mm -hmm. which is kind of staggering. But also the act of vomiting something symbolizes energy flowing in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So we're foreshadowing some like big, big evil adjacent, perhaps. Yeah. Forces connected to the the kind of powerful magic that Willow has. And it's so good. It's yeah. so good. I love I love a powerful visual shorthand right. for what's going on. See, now I hate the snake vomiting thing. But then again, of course, as you know, I hate body horror. Like all of it makes me really uncomfortable and I don't like it. Um, but I appreciate like the symbolism of it and how important it is for Willow to be going through, you know, these trials to, to earn the, the right to ask the question, you know? Yeah. And it's. It should be physically grueling Mm -hmm. and it's and she should be able to tolerate it Mm -hmm. if we're building Willow up to be as powerful as she is. Like that part is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And as draining as the ritual is for Willow physically and emotionally, Mm -hmm. she recovers within the narrative arc of these two episodes to the point that she's able to stand up to Razor at the right. end of part two. Right. It's 
really like it. It's really, really noteworthy. I mean, at the magic box, when they've made it, they've made it out of the woods. Anya mentions that Willow is looking a little magic out mm-hmm. <laughs> and she is. But then she snaps too almost immediately. Yeah. I mean, not only is she getting more powerful, she's also getting more resilient, mm-hmm. which means that the wait time between magical decisions becomes smaller. Yeah. And that has all kinds of implications mm-hmm. for magical decision making going forward. Yeah. If spell casting, I mean, even like big magic spell casting doesn't drain you completely, the temptation to magic your problems away increases. Yeah. So yeah. Willow is building up a tolerance both for the magic itself and also for the unpleasantness that comes with it. Right, right. The cost, you know, the cost to her for her magic isn't where she expects the cost to be, right? It comes mm-hmm. it comes in her personal relationships. It comes in her life. It comes in her mundane existence, right? But her magical existence, like she can bounce you know, she bounces back from this whole thing. They're sitting there. Anya's going through that whole thing. You're magicked out. And Willow's like, look, Buffy's not coming back. We got to do this. Next thing we know, Willow is wandering through an alley while demons are just taking over the town with a crossbow. Like she is not fucking around. The crossbow is one thing because that's like a physical thing that she's carrying around. But later on in the fight, she throws like a goober ball at one of the guy's faces you yeah. know like a magical goober ball um and uh, and manages to like slow him down a little bit um throwing that magic around and she's able to do that i mean that's that's a big thing the fact that she can recover the fact that she can pick up and keep going even after what she'd been through with osiris i mean osiris was not gentle with her you yeah. know um yeah and for in the beginning she couldn't walk xander had to carry her out she passed out you know? Yeah. Um, but then once they got back to the magic box, she rested for a few minutes and she was ready to go. And that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Willow. Willow is making all kinds of magical strides and mm-hmm. it's affecting her physical self. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's going to become, I mean, that will continue to become important. That's a huge, um, huge part of, of season six. And season six also, you know, like everything in Buffy, it's it always at some point becomes about power and her power being magical. And then the trio's power being patriarchal for the most part, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they've got magical. They've got, you know, the demon summoning. They've got all of that kind of stuff. And also Warren's, you know pseudo magical technology whatever um so i mean they've got stuff that they're doing that is is not entirely mundane but they themselves are mundane whereas willow is bringing that magic you know into her so yeah it's 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 really interesting but we're not getting to the trio quite yet although obviously i'm very anxious to talk about them because i think they're going to be so much fun um but one of the things that we were talking about earlier is this this idea giles is leaving right giles has been the adult giles has been the parent Mm -hmm. and now we are seeing everybody stepping into these adult roles like we have uh the engagement between anya and xander right and anya's like why can't we tell everybody and xander's like not the time yet you know um and so they're going through that whole argument right um and we have tara and willow who are just, you know, raising a teenager. Right? So, I mean, yeah. Season six, Willow and Tara have moved into the summer's home, mm-hmm. have moved into 
Joyce's bedroom mm-hmm. specifically. Yes. And our co-parenting Dawn. Yeah. And I I am fascinated mm-hmm. to realize that the only co-parenting we see on this show is in the context of a queer relationship. Yep. All single parents. Well, except I guess... I guess technically Xander's parents are co-parenting, but are they really? I mean, are, are they, they really? They're they're co they're co-abusing. Uh, so yeah. there is that. But yeah, like the only functional co-parenting that we see, everybody else is single parenting, just getting along the best they can. I mean, even Giles and Joyce, they they do parent Buffy separately in separate contexts. You know, um, the only time they parent her together is is during band candy. <laughs> but that's a whole other discussion of the, <laughs> that's... the stuff that <clears throat> it was brief, but it was lovely. Um, but yeah, like the only functional co-parenting we get is this queer relationship, which I think is kind of nice. And it's very normalizing, which I really like, you know. And it speaks really powerfully again to chosen family mm-hmm. and the way that for a lot of queer people, our family units are these things that are like cobbled together where there are you know people who are sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles and children who Mm -hmm. may belong to us biologically or not right and we somehow Mm -hmm. somehow magically (laughs) manage to have a household like Mm -hmm. there's there is something just so fascinating to me about the seamlessness with which we enter into Willow and Tara and Buffy Bot yeah. and Dawn mm-hmm. as this family getting ready for back to school. As a family unit. Yeah. As a family unit. And it's not anything that we bat an eye at it's just this is how and we do. nobody made a dawn has two mommies joke thank you yeah thank, thank you God. for that right i mean i mean yeah yeah and then you know weird uncle xander but whatever weird uncle xander weird uncle spike like okay spike <laughs> yeah also, super weird uncle spike spike Everybody. is also part of this whole thing he's part of the family yeah And I love, I love Spike wanting to be both Dawn's friend and her guardian in this way that like he clearly, like there's clearly an internal struggle for him because Mm -hmm. he's, you know, she's saying something about school and he's like, yeah, pointless you know create a bunch of automatons yeah. which is important and then he realizes go. what he said and is like <laughs> uh er, and you should definitely go <laughs> like, yeah because it's Buffy very would cute too like that's the thing you know um but he is he's there he's taking care of her he's playing cards with her he is in a family relationship you know and i mean the thing is that like these family relationships are still real and family relationships even though there's no blood 
you know, there's no blood connection between Willow and Tara and Dawn. There's no blood connection between Spike and Dawn. Um, but the family unit is is real and it is functioning. I mean, it's vampires and lesbians and teenagers. Oh, my. And, and Buffy bots. <laughs> right. Um, but they're all working together as as a family, as a functional family unit, um, which I really I like the way they pull that together. I like that sense of of all of this is happen and they're pulling together they're turning toward each other rather than away it's just it's fascinating to me that a that a show with so many troubling depictions of parents Mm -hmm. just so seamlessly and almost naturally includes this this lesbian couple Mm -hmm. doing their best to raise their friend's sister yeah it's yeah i love it i love how i love how like low key Mm -hmm. it is and how normal yes everything is around the the summer's house with the like the missing clog and dawn talking through brushing her teeth and they're making pancakes and Mm -hmm. You know, having the kind of uncomfortable discussion about, oh, well, if Don's father figures out yeah. Buffy is gone, what's going to happen with that? It, mm-hmm. It's it's great. It's these little like familial moments that yeah. I just so appreciate. I mean, seeing. With Tara making pancakes. Do you want funny shapes or rounds? I mean, come on. Tara is 20, you know, and I mean, that's the thing. Like Tara and Willow are 20 years old together yeah. raising a kid. Like yeah. I, the fact that they're lesbians does not concern me. The fact that they are children, <laughs> they're 20, yeah. which, you know, granted is adults, you know, they are adults. And even though they're 20, which should be this transitional space where you're in college, it's between childhood and adulthood, not necessarily full on adulthood. They are taking on this responsibility and doing a great job. You know, yeah. I mean, being good co-parents and creating a family space for Dawn. I absolutely love that they're doing that. And I think that that's great. Um, you know, it is sad to see Giles go. Um, you know, I love Giles, but I think that that's I like that he left this space so that they could fill it, you know? Yeah. And he's clearly doing his own kind of complicated grief mm-hmm. process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, training with the Buffy bot and trying to encourage her to breathe. (laughs) Oh, God, it's so sweet. It's so heartbreaking and and so sweet. And the Buffy bot saying that she enjoys their training is very interesting to me, too. Like the Buffy bot. The Buffy bot herself has Mm -hmm. gone on a little journey here. With but everyone. she's still saying, vampires, beware. And I love it. It's great. Yeah. It's great. But yeah, but Giles is clearly grappling with what does it mean? Like, did I fail Buffy mm-hmm. Let by allowing her to die, which is an interesting way of, of right. arranging that situation mm-hmm. for himself. But he's clearly, I mean... He's clearly trying to create some space for himself to process everything that's happened mm-hmm. by leaving. Right. And obviously it it does create this space for 
the Scoobies to then like take over as adults. Mm -hmm. I mean, Anya literally gets to take over the store, which she's very excited about. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a, I don't know, there's almost a a bargaining in Giles's departure as well. Like, Mm -hmm. if I go back to England, maybe. Yeah. It'll hurt. Le- I don't know. Oh yeah, I don't know. I think it's absolutely. all very like quiet and under the surface because, of course, it is well, <laughs> with Giles. Right. But I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, there's nothing keeping him there. Buffy's gone, you know. But I do love this moment though, where they're all coming in to say goodbye. I love Tara being like "Grr, arg" with the little monster yes. on her finger. That's so cute. And then the sweetness with you know Dawn giving him the card and all of that and like everything. But there's this moment with Willow. It's it's very much the Dorothy and the Scarecrow moment where Scarecrow, I think I'm going to miss you most of all. You know, mm-hmm. um, there is something about the Willow and Giles relationship that is, I think, has always been less, you know, father and child the way that the Buffy relationship was and more colleagues more peers you know yeah he would turn to her to do the spells you know and to and she knew the things that he knew like he had studied all the magic and all of that and was able to do that but then he passed that on to her she took over that responsibility and at some point they became more more equals than a parent-child relationship. And the way that he is about leaving her and how difficult you can see that that is for him, especially because we're going to see him come back and call her a rank, arrogant amateur, which is awesome. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> that's great in that relationship. But I, I love the, that little nuance to the way that they are with each other, that it's it's just different. It's different from him and Xander, from him and Anya, from him and Buffy you know, from him and Tara, it's just, there's something, and Dawn, there's just something about Willow that is, um, that is more of a, of a colleague kind of relationship. It's, it's a, it's a surprisingly emotional mm-hmm. scene Yeah, for what it is. It's not played up in a huge way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a big, like, <laughs> I don't know. There are, there are goodbye scenes that have been yeah. kind of overstuffed with emotion right. and this is so this is very reserved it's very reserved and british right <laughs> very, very stiff reserved, upper lippy reserved <laughs> british goodbye but yet that moment that i think that's why that moment that very like subtle moment of i'm gonna miss you most of all scarecrow like that yeah you know um that i think says so much because it is it is so much more expressive than usually you would get from giles um and it's, uh, you know, and I like where he says, I didn't want a scene. And they were like, oh, did you think we'd make a scene? You know, and he was like, no, I was talking about me. Yeah. Um, that he he left that way so that he wouldn't feel yep. this, that he wouldn't feel, you know, the leaving of them the way as deeply as he as he clearly, clearly does. Um, but yeah, that's a it's a very sad moment. You know, it's a very sad, um, sad goodbye. And um and yeah, it's it's I think it's important for Giles to leave, you know, uh, but it's also it's also, you know, like my heart breaks a little bit when I see him go, you know, um, yeah. because you don't want him to. But it's it's important that we have that because right now we're in that transition to adulthood and a parent figure, you know, softens that, which is what we're going to be seeing, of course, later on 
in the in the season with Giles where you know am I being here is that is that making it easier for Buffy to lean on me and not grow up the way that she needs to and that's a challenge that he you know faces later in the season um Mm -hmm. But I also love, um, as we move forward in this, this relationship with Dawn and Buffy. The relationship first we see it expressed through Dawn and the Buffy bot, you know? Um, when the Buffy yeah. bot comes over and hugs her that morning before, you're my yes. sister, right? Oh my God, Ooh. Dawn's face, you know? But yet when Buffy is plugged in, Buffy bot is plugged in and charging overnight, Dawn goes into the bedroom and curls up next yeah. to her. Yeah. The- uncanny valleyness of the Buffy bot mm-hmm. lying in Buffy's bed plugged in with her eyes open yeah it's but really it's sad it is so sad and the thing is, is that that's like when Buffy bot hugs Dawn it's very clear it's not Buffy but when the Buffy bot is shut down you know and just lying there Dawn can pretend for a moment that it's Buffy you know, and it's just it's so sad and it's so heartbreaking. And then we have, you know, the moment where she's talking to the Buffy bot after the Buffy bot has been drawn and quartered by which is also freaking horrifying and hello darkness again with these demons. Right. Yeah. Um, she goes to the Buffy bot and the Buffy bot says the other Buffy and says that I was here, you know, mm-hmm. um, and Dawn runs off to look for Buffy, knowing that Buffy is there follows you know buffy up to the rickety tower the multi-dimensional diving board that uh that glory made um and they stand up there on this rickety wobbly thing that is falling apart and cannot hold them right and this conversation that they have is so heartbreaking when Dawn is like, no, no, don't, you know, and, and I've tried, I've tried to be brave and I've tried to live. And then she starts telling Buffy what Buffy said to her, live, be brave, you know, yeah. live. And, and Dawn is about to say for me when the whole thing starts falling apart, you know, and that's the moment when Buffy kind of comes back and then, of course, saves them both by softening their fall somewhat by grabbing yeah. on this pulley that then of course brings the whole thing down on top of them. Um, it's, it's so heartbreaking. and so sad. It always makes me cry. And then that moment where Dawn throws her arms around Buffy and says, you're home, you're home, you yeah. know? And then Buffy is just staring. I mean, Oh my God. It's so yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. Because Buffy Ooh, that whole scene on the tower mm-hmm. is so difficult to watch because yeah. Buffy is clearly trying to make some kind of sense mm-hmm. of what has happened and where she is. And she's, I mean, she's had to dig out of her own grave, yeah. which, I mean, we know from nightmares that being buried alive is right. one of Buffy's fears. Yeah. And then that comes true mm-hmm. in mean, a sense. God. I mean, not... Not entirely, but she's had this like she she claws her way out of her grave mm-hmm. and then Sunnydale is literally on fire. Yeah. <laughs> and she sees the tower and climbs it and is standing on that same spot. Mm-hmm. And it's like the 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 mental process that's mm-hmm. happening for her there. She's trying to. Yeah make sense of everything Mm -hmm. that's happened. I mean, 
We know because we see some POV shots Mm -hmm. from Buffy that she is literally not seeing clearly. Yeah. Yeah. After After, she's brought back. Yeah. You know, after being like, you know, if I sleep in my contacts, they get dry. I wake up in the morning. My face is a little blurry. I can't even imagine being dead for three months, what that would do. Yeah. You know, um, takes a little while to get all that, get all those tear ducts moving. Right. Yeah. So while she's walking around Sunnydale, Mm -hmm. her vision is partially blurred. But when she's standing on the on the tower, Mm -hmm. on the spot where the the portal was and looking or looking down Mm -hmm. at the spot where the portal was, that POV shot is completely clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she says that she's kind of piecing it all together. Like it was so clear Mm -hmm. that moment, that decision to save Dawn and the world Mm -hmm. by jumping off the tower. Oh, it's just it's rough because it was she knows that she had this clarity and this understanding and this Mm -hmm. like sense of completion in a way. You know, when she says to Dawn at the end of season five, like this is this is the work I have to do. Right. She like it's like she figures out what it means Mm -hmm. to be called to be the slayer the Mm -hmm. way she is. Yeah. And she achieves that Mm -hmm. in a strange way. And then it's all reversed. And she doesn't know where she is or why she is or even what what has happened. Mm -hmm. We we know. Right. (laughs) We all know what's Mm -hmm. happened. But she has just woken up in a coffin. Yeah. And this is where she feels compelled to return. It's a lot. It's a lot. It is. It is. I mean, it's it's so huge and it's so powerful. And everything, of course, is falling down because this isn't the same moment. You can't recreate it. You can't go back, you know, like you are where mm-hmm. you are. And even if it's in the same place, it's not the same thing, you know. Yeah. Um, but I love this moment. When she looks at Dawn and she says, is this hell? Yeah. Right. Because that's the only thing that she can think about. Um, that she, That's the only context that she can put this in, this experience, right? Of coming back, everything's on fire. There are these demons who are way scarier than the demons she left behind. You know, the, yeah. the demons that she jumped through, you know, a hell dimension in order to like save the world from, you know, um, if you if you compare Glory's minions to these bi- these guys, this biker gang, like, yeah, that's not even they're not even in the same territory. They're like, almost it's, cuddly compared to this biker super gang. cuddly compared to the, the biker demons. Um, but I, when she asked this question, like, is this hell? You know, my first response is, well, it's not not hell. You know, right. I mean, and when you start thinking about it, like I started thinking about this question, like, is this hell is is that what the experience of adulthood is? You know, um, 
There's this idea that hell isn't a literal place or a dimension, but rather something that we create around us that we carry within us, you know? And the question is, is that what adulthood is? Like when I was talking about coming of age stories before that we usually have this line as being, you know, like when somebody has sex or whatever, or falls in love, that that's coming of age. But coming of age, I mean, is it is it really when you step over that line between knowing and not knowing, you know, uh, between not feeling responsible for anything and feeling responsible for everything you know mm-hmm. um does this crossing over into adulthood into hell happen when we make our first bad choice you know when we carry in our hearts the consequences of that choice did it start for buffy when she slept with angel and he turned bad she was holding herself responsible for something that was absolutely not her fault but she felt the consequences of that choice, you know? Um, So here's this idea, right? That we custom build our own demons, our own hells, and we carry them around with us every day. And we just kind of live in it, you know? And I think that's how Buffy works as a metaphor, because metaphorically, we are all Buffy, you know, just slaying our demons one by one. But there are hordes of them and there are different types, different damage and baggage and pain. And we fight them and fight them and fight them, but they just keep coming. And, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, is that if you're taking this idea, you know, this hell idea that hell is something that we carry with us, that we create, you know, um, do we keep creating it every day? Do we keep calling these demons to the, to us as we create them? Every time we make a choice that we regret, every time someone does something to us that shows us their darkness and we take that darkness into ourselves, you know, I'm not, I'm not blaming the victim here, but I'm just like asking the question and sort of exploring this idea, this metaphor, you know. We're in the grown up part of Buffy now. And I think this is where we start asking those really complicated sort of grown up questions. And so if this if we have this idea that like our demons are created when we are hurt, when we are damaged, we touch darkness either through our own hubris or because we're dragged into it by somebody else. But once we look into the abyss, it looks back into us. And from there, we just have demons, you know. They follow us in shadow, right? They can't step into the sunlight, but we can't always be in sunlight. The sun goes down, the night comes, and the demons find us, and they whisper things that probably aren't true, but they make us believe them, you know? So we fight them one by one. Sometimes we win, and we know that they're lying to us, and sometimes we lose, and we believe them. Then we sleep, and we wake up, and we see the sun, and we go on for another day. But they're always there, you know, in the dark, waiting for us to let our guard down so that they can have, what was the Spike said, one very good day. They wait for a (laughs) weak moment. They start to whisper at us again. They make us believe them again. So you think about that as this endless Sisyphusian cycle, right? You know, what's the point? Even if we kill one demon, we're just going to make another one, a stronger one, a more convincing one. And then they come in when we invite them, right? So it's us creating our hells, creating our demons and inviting them in. Um, And I just think it's an interesting question. I don't know how I feel about it. But I think it's an interesting (laughs) question when you talk about the metaphor of season six. In the Angel episode, Epiphany, in Angel season two, Angel says that if nothing we do matters, all that matters is what we do. And I love that. I hold on to that. That is central to kind of like how I see the world. Um, But in Gingerbread... Angel tells Buffy that we fight because there are things worth fighting for. And in amends, Buffy tells Angel that fighting is hard and it's painful and it's every day, but it's what we have to do. And I think that this is some part of the appeal of Buffy as a show, that it's part of why we watch Buffy, because Buffy reminds us that things get dark 
things get lost, we get lost. But we fight because there are things worth fighting for. We are fighting for. So is this hell? Yeah, maybe. You know, sometimes. (laughs) But not always, right? Some days we walk into the sunlight and it's beautiful and the demons can't touch us there. And that's worth fighting for. And that's what you keep fighting. That's why you keep doing it. That's why you keep fighting. So I find it interesting because is this hell? is such an interesting question. And I think probably one that most of us who have like at least transitioned over into adulthood have asked maybe once or twice, you know? Um, yeah. But it's it's yeah. an interesting kind of way of looking at what Buffy is and what Buffy does. I don't know. Just a question. I don't know. Is this hell? Is the question that we're going to continue to ask throughout this season? Probably. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and what I... What I love about that line is that she is asking, like, literally, is this how, like, is this the place? Yeah. Like, how is that where I am now? Because mm-hmm. I was somewhere else. Yeah. And now where I am is not mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting, it's an interesting view of hell, that mm-hmm. hell is something that we carry with us Mm -hmm. i tend to think of hell more as the state of being separated from the divine Mm -hmm. which arguably is exactly where buffy is yeah she has been ripped away from that divinity that Mm -hmm. she i don't want to say achieves by Mm -hmm. sacrificing herself because that is incredibly loaded sounding yeah Yeah. um Mm -hmm. That that but that sense the sense of wholeness and completion mm-hmm. that she has in that moment of clarity when she realizes yeah. and realizes her gift, mm-hmm. right? That is divinity for Buffy. Yeah. Um the clarity, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That moment of holiness has been taken away from her mm-hmm. when she's brought back. So to ask is this hell I think fits really nicely with is this have I have I been completely removed Uh from the clarity that I thought I had yeah that's so interesting because my whole run on is this hell the idea that there was a divinity not even on the table like not even (laughs) didn't even consider it that there is divinity, the divinity exists, you know, like the best we can get is walking into the sunlight where the demons can't get us. So I think that possibly my worldview might be a little bit darker than yours. So I'm glad you're here. Or to, like, just, bring that you know, in. like more agnostic. <laughs> I'm not sure. Like there's, it yeah. gets, as we move forward, as we move forward with the series, mm-hmm. I think the series gets less agnostic. Arguably, interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I will be interested to kind of. That's another thing that I'm going to keep an eye on. Oh, I like it. I like having that discussion. Kind of Um, a growing, like a like an like a agnostic 
theism almost. Yeah. Like there is a God, but shrug, like, is kind of where Well, I mean, and over in Angel, which is, of course, a, you know, cousin universe, right? You know, right. we have the, the powers that be that are supposed to be quote unquote good or whatever, but I don't think so. Like, there are interesting questions about the absence. Like, we show the physical presence of evil. And the manifestations of evil, which are demons, right? You know? Yeah. We don't really show a physical manifestation of uh, divinity, you know, aside from, you know, we've got the monks, which presumably are worshiping something. We have Glory, who is a god, but she's evil. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So like the, the, the theism here, you know, the, the philosophy behind that is going to be really, really interesting to kind of um, parse out. I'm looking forward to, to thinking about it in those terms because that is, is so interesting. Um, although I do have one quick question. This is just like a nitpick, you know, but I'm not, yeah. I'm not above it. Right. Uh, Tara says Mercury's in retrograde. And I'm like, is Mercury in retrograde like really a good time to bring back the dead? Considering that I'm not supposed to buy a new toaster oven during Mercury in retrograde. <laughs> like, you know, Mercury, what I'm when, I mean, when Mercury is in retrograde, that's when you want to like really like double secret confirm that all of your files are recording and yeah. like maybe not respond to that email like i right because it fucks know. with you and like mercury like, in retrograde mercury feels is about- like mercury in retrograde is the like astrological version of a trickster Right. You know, they're just coming in to like fuck with you. And well, and Mercury yeah. is about communication, mm-hmm. which is a weird like, I don't know. That feels like a weird thing to bring into the the right. Death it feels and like rebirth. somebody somebody picked it up as like, oh, this is a thing that people say without knowing why people right. talk about Mercury in retrograde. Right. Um, like, yeah. If there are if things are kind of wonky, we're just going right. to blame Mercury being in retrograde. Well, but, we're just going to say Mercury in retrograde because it sounds like a thing, but without having any knowledge of it. And so it threw me out because I'm like, oh, Tara would know. Tara would know. <laughs> you don't do shit when Mercury is in retrograde. You stay home. You certainly do not raise the goddamn dead when Mercury is in retrograde. But um, I mean, but, yeah, and that's probably funny not. I, I, I think probably not. Um, but of course, like I say that as somebody who like I don't really believe in it. I find astrology interesting and fun, but I don't really like believe in it at all. Although I will say there have been times where things have been getting like really, really messed up where everything goes wrong. And I'm like, oh, I wonder. And I do a little search as Mercury in retrograde. And yep yep Mm -hmm. yes it is so um so i don't know i don't know but i i found that kind of interesting um also like i do have a question like if you want to keep buffy's death you know super low key like maybe don't have a gravestone like engraved and placed in the middle of the woods where people might you know like find it or whatever um because the bikers the bikers who were in town right where all the fun is right are now randomly biking through the forest and come across the sacred circle and whatever like why Sunnydale is whatever shape you need it to be for the story you want to tell like that's right I'm just saying if the the random bikers having a party in the alleys and lighting fires and garbage cans right are going to also bike through the forest like maybe wherever you put Buffy's little gravestone uh you might want to you might want to keep that quiet you know, yeah. like you might not want. Yeah. And also, the dude who engraved it, 
you know, I mean, maybe he doesn't know who Buffy is, but still, like, I don't know. It just, it felt, it felt a little weird to me, although I did appreciate the Buffy gravestone. She saved the world a lot. It's always kind of nice. She so. saved the world a lot. A is just, lot. Yeah. Because what a else lot. are you going to say? I know. It's perfect. So, Noelle, what are you wearing? Okay. You mentioned the vampire and his t-shirt. Oh, yes. His Hanson t-shirt. Yes. Mm, bop, baby. And I just want to, like... <laughs> I love that as a as a wardrobe choice on a number of levels. Um, I love it. Yeah. I love that vampires clearly bring some of their human personality along with them right. as vampires. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, as you were talking about this transition from kind of like goofy demons mm-hmm. to scary, serious, frightening demons. Yeah. Yeah. To like serious, scary, hyper masculine mm-hmm. demons. In yeah. the, I mean, what is more like hyper toxic masculine than a biker gang with face tattoos? Yeah, like that's we're we're pulling and, on and some like face mutilation. I mean, I don't think that they are that those like hooks and leather straps. Yeah, the hooks are, are an interesting biologically choice, generated. Like that's stuff that they do, and all the piercings and that. I'm uh, piercings are fine. Piercings are fine, <laughs> but like the the leather straps with the hooks into their flesh that look torturous on their own, like that's. You know, that's something that you choose. That's I, I, I don't think demons are like born with leather straps and metal hooked into their face. So, yeah, that was it's weird. It's clearly an aesthetic choice it's that choice. they make. It's clearly part Absolutely. of their demon aesthetic. Yeah. So I so the contrast mm-hmm. between goofy yep. vampires mm-hmm. and as as summed up by this one kind of. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He's he's just he's just not that impressive as vampires go. He's Jonah he's very... Hill. If Jonah Hill were a vampire, oh right? That's who that's who this guy would be. And um, and I liked him. I thought he was funny. I thought he was cute. You know. Um, oh, he's great. He was adorable. He... But yeah, like when when our demon vampire takes him by the neck and pops his head off, you know, like he's a Pez dispenser. Yeah. Um, then you know that we're we're transitioning out of one space and into another space, and man, that's dark. Yeah, we're out of boy band space and into biker gang space. Yes, and it's yes, we are. I mean, it's a lot. It's uh-huh. a lot. It is. A um, lot. but that's just like I mean, wardrobe. I love you so I much. I know that detail. <laughs> the Hanson T-shirt. When you say vampire in a Hanson T-shirt, that's everything you need to know. Like, right. that's the power yes. of one little detail. Whenever I teach writing, I always talk about the power of specificity. That is yep. exactly what I'm talking about. That one really well-chosen detail can tell you almost everything you need to know about a character. Do you want to take us into girl power, Lonnie? Oh, not with a girl power, babe. I do want to take us into girl power. So I picked out a few things, a few elements of girl power that I thought were really present in, um, in this episode. Uh, we have Willow, of course doing her willow thing uh taking everything osiris wants to deal out and being like is that all you got you know um (laughs) so yeah i mean maybe what she's doing is uh, technically you know morally ethically like wrong sure but she's tough and she can take a hit and that is unbelievable to see her do that and then bounce 
back and be in charge of the gang. You know, um, all of that I think is really great. Um, I love Tara. And then of course, here's Willow's badass, tough, I will cut a bitch magic, right? And yep. then we have Tara sending the Tinkerbell light. Yeah. You know? And then Willow instantly knowing what it is. And we have this thing where she sends me a light and I find her. And then I got so lost, but I found yep. you. It just brings back to that. So I love that. Uh, Tara uh, burying an axe in the back of a biker demon. Hell fucking yeah. And saving Willow. I love mm-hmm. that. I think that that's incredible. And then we've got Dawn climbing up the rickety dimensional diving board to save Buffy. Um, that also is pretty badass. And once again, I would like to say we're having another badass moment from Dawn. I love Dawn. I know a lot of people don't like her. I swear, I the more time I spend with her, the more I actually like her. Yeah. Yeah, she holds it together really well too. Mm-hmm. That whole that whole scene yeah. at the top of the tower, mm-hmm. she is really like she she is in all of the feelings. Yeah. You know, that yeah. <laughs> Buffy's not the only one who had a big moment at the top of that tower. Right. I mean, Dawn yeah. is mm-hmm. reliving this horrible moment. Yeah. And still managing to keep her her calm enough to try to talk Buffy over to her mm-hmm. and it's I mean it's impressive yeah it really is Dawn is I love very Dawn. impressive she is really fantastic all right so what's your favorite part of bargaining parts one and two? Oh my god I mean I talked about my my favorite parts aesthetically mm-hmm. which of course are like Willow and her maybe problematic definitely problematic magic yeah um but in terms of just like delight it's tara with her first and i think only mm-hmm. demon kill right? nobody messes with my girl oh man hell yeah yeah <laughs> nobody messes with my girl that's right yeah that's pretty pretty fucking badass i love that moment what about you what's your favorite part um i love don and buffy at the end, when Dawn is talking to Buffy and bringing her back and reconnecting her to her life as much as she can in this moment of severe trauma, you know, um, she reaches out and she is the thing that Buffy responds to. You know, the first thing that Buffy responds to is the demons when they're threatening, you know, the Scooby gang and then she fights. Right. So that is mm-hmm. her slayer instinct, you know, kicking in. But this is her human half kicking in this is her human part that is responding to her sister and her sister needing her um and even though you know when they're on the ground and dawn is hugging her we see this blank look from buffy you know it is still she's not entirely there yet but she's Mm -hmm. there enough because of her love of dawn um and i love that it's just it makes me cry every time All right. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter, follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag still pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad free right now. So thank you to our September producers. And this week's special message for our power producers. 
Let's fly, pigeon. <laughs> to find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or put marzipan in your pie plate, bingo. We will be back next time with Afterlife, the third episode of season six. Until then, if we want her to be exactly, she'll never be exactly. I know the only really real Buffy is really Buffy and she's gone. Who? Who?